0: Good morning. Thank you for being here. Um, We are kicking off a journey through the book of Nehemiah. We're going through Nehemiah. We, uh, in the later part of last year, went through the book of Ezra. And so hopefully you remember some of that. But like I said, um, we are starting in the book of Nehemiah, which really goes hand in hand with the book of Ezra. They cover the same events. Um, it's roughly in the same time period. They're contemporaries. And they talk about a lot of the same things. Um, Nehemiah. Um, he comes after the book of Ezra, right? So we have the story of Israel being sent into exile. God tried to warn them, and then he tried to warn them again, and then he tried to warn them again, and then he told them, okay, I'm done warning you. Babylon's coming. Babylon's coming you're going to send uh, some time in the timeout corner. Okay? Babylon's coming. You're going to go sit in the corner for 70 years. Hopefully that'll get you set right. But where Ezra and Nehemiah come in is that over the course of those 70 years, Babylon had been overthrown by the kingdom of Persia. So we were Babylon. Now Israel is still in exile, but it's the kingdom of Persia that allowed the Israelites, to start going back. And in the book of Ezra, we see the decree that sent them back to Israel to start rebuilding. The book of Ezra chronicles the story of that journey, that rebuilding of the temple, of the altar, where they offered sacrifices, and how Ezra really tried to get the nation of Israel, as they were coming back, to remember who they were, what their identity was as the people of God, and saying, hey, we spent 70 years in this other culture where we weren't really able to worship and we might have forgotten who we were it's time to come back it's time to remember who we were we need to start worshiping him Um, and he closed the book of ezra with a proclamation about the intermarriage where there were different religions and different faiths and different beliefs that people were intermarrying and they had different, it wasn't compatible. And so Ezra called the people, we need to remain righteous. We need to remain faithful to who God is and what he's called us to. And, and Nehemiah picks up with this character, who's going to be the main character of this book, driving a different sort of rebuilding. Now, the, the, the events of Nehemiah take place after the majority of Ezra, because we see in Nehemiah 12 at the dedication of the wall, which is a big part of the beginning of the book, how they rebuild the wall. So spoiler alert, they fix it, it gets done, okay? And they dedicate the wall after it's rebuilt. And you'll see in Nehemiah 12 at the dedication, they go to the temple to make sacrifices, which was a big part of Ezra's work. So the temple is done, they can make sacrifices, there's priests, they're they're starting to get Back to who they were. All right? And sometimes we need that too. Sometimes we just need that reset, and there's things in our life that we need to rebuild if we allow God to do that and work through us. But there's a lot of um, events that are the same. It's just Nehemiah takes the approach from a different angle, looks at it from a different perspective. But we pick up, and we're going to read through Nehemiah chapter 1. But we're going to take it a little piece at a time and look at it and unpack it as we go. But we pick up with Nehemiah in the court of the king of Persia. And he comes onto the scene and it's just an everyday event in the life of Nehemiah. He's there. He's in the winter palace because it says it's in this time. They were at the winter palace. You know, He's got his, his summer home and his, his summer palace. He's got his winter palace. And so he is there with the king. And there's something that I want to point out very quickly early on that's important because it sets the stage for a lot of who Nehemiah is and why he's in the position that he is. And he does not make a big deal out of it, but he introduces himself at the end of chapter 1 in verse 11. He says this very simple short sentence. Now I was cupbearer to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. And the only reason why he does that is because the request that he makes in chapter 2 is only possible because of this role. Because he is the cupbearer of the king. And you're like, great. Okay, he's a butler. He holds the cup because the king can't hold his own cup. Like, imagine that. Imagine if somebody's just waiting on you with your cup for when you're thirsty. Like, that is the life. I could get used to that. If anybody wants to volunteer to be my cupbearer, I'll be taking applications. <laughs> but it just kind of drops in on Nehemiah where he is that he's in exile, he's in Persia, he's not part of the exiles that went back to Jerusalem, so he's still not back. He's in the palace of the king of Persia, living out his life. He's got this role, and he's living out this life. until God gets a hold of him. And I believe there are so many of us here who have a similar story where you are just in the middle of your everyday life and then God got a hold of you. And if you don't have a story like that, my prayer is that by the end of this message, at the end of this book and this chapter, that you'll see how God is hoping to do that with you. How he's praying to be able to get a hold of your life the way that he did Nehemiahs and the way that he did this first and the first thing that Nehemiah did was that he heard and what we need to do in our life is we try to follow God and live according to this faith is to hear hear what's going on hear the situation hear the need of the hour which is in verses one through three. So let's lead the, read them together. The word of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanai, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And he said to me, The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates destroyed by fire. Not a good picture of Jerusalem. The walls of a city in that day were not just physical symbols of strength and protection. They were were metaphors. They were images of, of reputation. And we have our wall, so we have it together. And Jerusalem's wall and its gates were in shambles. And so for everyone from the outside looking in, Jerusalem was weak. God's city, God's outpost on earth, the place where he was dwelling, was weak and compromised. It was vulnerable, open to attack. And Nehemiah asked and heard the report. Because he was in a position to hear. Many people would say and agree that that this report from, from Jerusalem, from the exiles, came to Nehemiah looking for favor. They were looking for someone in Nehemiah's position who could do something. Because they saw the situation, they saw the trouble and the shame that Israel was in and needed help, which comes to Nehemiah's position to hear. I said he was the cupbearer to the king, and why this is a big deal for three reasons. Why this matters is first, because of the role of the cupbearer. It was more than just a butler it was more than someone who would pour the wine for the king in those days when you had different empires and different power struggles assassination and poison were were tools of the trade common weapons that enemies used and you can read it through the historical books People were out to get each other. And so one of the roles of the cupbearer, one of the the responsibilities that they fulfilled was that every time the king would eat or drink, the cupbearer would taste the food and the drink. He would sample, he would test, and if he dropped dead, (laughs) well, then he did his job. And the king would know, great, not drink it from this cup. But he had a very important role, and he was one of the closest people to the king. Right? So we're reshaping this idea of just someone standing there with a cup. He had access to this position of power. Because the king had to be vulnerable with him. Right? He had to trust this cupbearer to say, hey, you're going to sample all of my food and if you live, I'm going to believe that this food is good. Which means that if the cupbearer had it out for the king, he could spike the drink, give it to the king, say it's fine, and then be done. And so this was a very important position. This was a very important role because the king was vulnerable to them and had to trust this person it was a position of status it was a position of honor because it demonstrated that the king trusted you and you had his ear you were right there with him you had influence you had sway and this was the role that nehemiah was filling in a foreign country in a different empire someone that didn't worship the god the second reason is why this was important Why this mattered and why the fact that Nehemiah listened and heard is that you think about the life that this person had, (laughs) this cupbearer. Now picture for yourself that you're a king or you're a queen, right? Just kind of sit and enjoy that moment, right? It's very nice. And you have this person standing next to you, standing beside you, who's going to make sure that your food is not poisoned. How do you treat that person? (laughs) Do you you abuse that person? Do you take care of that person? If I'm in that role, and I'm going to make sure that this, this person is verifying whether or not someone's trying to kill me, and they know that their life is on the line because they're the first line of defense, so they could very easily be taken out, I'm going to want to make sure that this person is taken care of. I want to make sure that this person enjoys their life and enjoys their job and isn't going to try and backstab me by spiking my drink. Right? Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. So Nehemiah had a good life. He could influence the king, he was well off, and he was in a good role. He was in a good position. He was safe. He was not in Israel, but he'd landed himself a comfortable life. So he didn't really need to care about what was going on in Israel and the destruction that had happened there and the sad state of things back over in Israel. We're talking 70 years. Enough time for him to get settled. Enough time for him to get comfortable and to say, maybe this is it for me. Maybe this is where God wants me to be. You know, i got a good life. Why uproot everything and go back to Israel? And then the third reason why this is important that he was the cupbearer is for the position that he was in and the way that God orchestrated this. Which we see time and time and time again in Scripture. That God has the exact right person in the exact right role at the exact right time to carry out his plan and his will. Obadiah was in Ahab's court. Moses a slave, an Israelite, was brought up and raised in Pharaoh's household as a prince. Taught how to rule, how to govern. Joseph was in Pharaoh's court. We just read through that in the, in the reading plan. Just finished Genesis. How, how God had positioned Joseph to take care and, and protect the remnant of Israel. Daniel was given a position of influence in Babylon. Esther was in the court in Persia, in the king's court. In Romans, Paul sends greetings to someone who that was in Caesar's household. So you're talking even early on in the church, in the New Testament, there are people of influence in places of power that can, that can sway things. And I think of this story that, that obviously we had p- planned in advance and prepared ahead of time that Jeff absolutely knew about that we were going to do this, how um, Christy Engel, on the one day that she comes and is a guest speaker, lays out a challenge because Lois had been playing piano for years and years, and they, they needed someone to step up. And, and Jeff, there you were in that time, in that moment, to say yes. And I think of a, a, just the stories that come to mind. My dad was here visiting back when we were in Scarborough and Maria de Genova with um, Johnny and Friends came and she was just a guest speaker and shared about Johnny and Friends. And my dad caught the Johnny bug and has now been every year to Johnny and Friends. And we think about maybe, like I said, you've had those experiences. You've had those moments where you were in a position And you didn't really necessarily understand why you were there. And you spent time in this role until God called you for a purpose. I had that in my own life when I worked at at the University of New England because uh, I was working in the pharmacy program which if you knew me and how much I love and enjoy math and science would just absolutely make so much sense to you. Um, actually it was a horrible fit. And every day I would go to work and wash glassware and beakers and graduated cylinders and say, God, what am I doing here? This is not where I want to be. So if you could just make something happen and, and get me into ministry, That would be great. Because I was banging my head against the wall saying, God, what is the purpose? What is the point? And I felt like I had just kind of been like cast off and like was just so frustrated. Thinking that I was wasting my time until I started meeting students one after the other, through no work of my own, literally just walking by one of the study rooms and seeing them on their laptop, watching a sermon (laughs) with a pastor that I knew. And how that turned into a Bible study and then a student ministry, because there was no student ministry on the Portland campus, and how it became something that was so fulfilling to me because God wanted something. And as much as I didn't understand it in the moment, he was working behind the scenes. And that might be true to, for you where you are right now. Where you are just wondering, God, what am I doing in this place? What is going on? Why am I here? I feel like I'm making no difference. But be open To God working in your heart for that season. It doesn't say how many years Nehemiah was in the court of the king. But I don't imagine when he woke up this morning that he heard this report. That he was expecting this cascade of events to start. It might be tomorrow. That God begins to shift things where you are. It might be years from now that he has put you in that place and he's put you in that position to be ready and to be available for when he needs you. And so I would say don't get discouraged about where you are. Don't be be discouraged, but use that time. Like Moses in 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 the desert as a shepherd, as he was just waiting until God called him for that burning bush experience. And said it's time. Until God brought these people to Nehemiah with this report that stirred his heart. Because Nehemiah was not only in a position to hear. But he was also willing to hear. Because he could have easily said. Not my problem. I'm in Persia's court now. That's very sad. I'm very sorry to hear that. But there's nothing I can do. He could have very easily said Israel deserved this. This is what they get. In Jeremiah 15, it even says Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside and ask about your welfare? Israel brought this upon themselves, and it very easily could have been that, that Nehemiah just threw up his hands and said, okay, someone else's problem. You take care of it. But the fact that even in the position of authority and influence that he was in, he took time to listen. He took time to care and it wasn't just paying lip service. It wasn't just, oh, I'm so Sorry. That's so sad. But I see this in in Jesus himself. The way that he modeled this time and time again. And how we can do this as well. Where Jesus was going someplace or he had so much going on and yet he never, never missed an opportunity to go out of his way. To stop and to hear someone who is in need. Someone that he had no business paying attention to, and yet he focused on them. Think of all the stories about the times that Jesus could have easily walked by. I think Zacchaeus is one of my favorite ones who was hiding up in a tree because nobody bothered to let him through. And yet Jesus stopped and pointed to him and said, Zacchaeus, today I'm having dinner with you. So many times that Jesus models this for us, where no matter what we have going on, no matter what you're dealing with in your life, and I'm not saying that you don't have stuff. I'm not saying that you don't have priorities and things that are important to you that you need to focus on. But I love this picture that Jesus paints for us that says, stop here listen to what this person is going through i'm going to listen i'm going to care about what you have going on i'm going to make your problem my problem because as the church as the body what affects you affects me what you're going through i'm going through Because I need to lean on you just as much as you need to lean on me. And I can't say that your problem is not my problem. I want to hear the big, the small. I want to hear what's keeping you up at night. I want to hear what's giving you anxiety. I want to be with you and hear and listen. And Nehemiah opens himself up to the the burdens of others in order that he can be a part of it. And I pray that we do that as well. I pray that we love each other in this, that we sit and listen and hear. Not just as lip service, not that, not that we just, it goes in one ear and out the other. Because people, I think, can tell when we do that. People can tell when we genuinely don't care. But I want to keep going through chapter 1 and and I want to look at what what Nehemiah does next. Because after he hears, he sits. Look at verse 4 in chapter 1. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued, underline that, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He sat in mourning. He sat and wept for days. This is not a, oh, I'm so sorry, you poor thing. And then you turn and go and think to yourself, well, geez, I'm super glad that's not my problem. (laughs) Like, boy, do I feel sorry for you because my life is just great right now. You know, like, must be hard for you. Let me go and enjoy the ease and comfort (laughs) of my life. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He sits and he weeps and mourns for days. He continues in fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His heart is stirred. Hear these words, the burden that he has for these people and this city. You can get a sense of the importance that this meant to him. Is better for us, even the pain that it causes, even the situation that it puts us in where we become responsible. As he sits, as he mourns, as he fasts, as he prays with this knowledge, this burden that he now has to do something, how easy it could have been if he had just not known, if he had just not bothered to ask. Because we can turn a blind eye. We can, we can come up with excuses. We can... Good excuses for, for, for why we don't do this. But it's better for us to know than not to know. Because Warren, Warren Weaserby said this. He said, When God puts a burden in your heart, don't try to escape it. For if you do, you might miss the blessing That God has planned for you. And I think, and I go back to Jeff, how he said yes to that challenge, to that call, when he could have said no. And I would invite you to think back on the times when you heard of a need and said yes. When you felt God stirring in your heart to do something and you saw a need and felt a burden and you leaned into it and you embraced it and you said, this is going to be hard. But God, I'm with you in this. If you will lead me, I will go. Where do you feel a burden right now? Where is God pushing on your heart? Saying, do you see this pain do you see this suffering? Do you see this, this opportunity for ministry? Can we be sensitive to that? Allow God to stir it up in you. If you're, It's going to be uncomfortable, but allow yourself to get moved. Allow God to show you where he would have you go and what he would have you do. It's so important to remember your burden because we're going to see this as we go through the book of Nehemiah and we saw it when we went through the book of Ezra. As you follow and obey God, there will be opposition. And I say that because I love you and I don't want you to get blindsided when you say yes and then weeks or months down the road you get smacked in the face with something or tripped up or whatever it is but you encounter that obstacle. The enemy doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want to see God move in your life. And we'll see people that come and ridicule and mock Nehemiah as he's trying to encourage the Israelites to rebuild this wall. They're going to try and throw up every different angle of opposition that they can to to stop this thing. Which is why it's so important that we remember this call and this burden. When we feel like giving up, when we feel like throwing in the towel. God, you placed this burden on my heart. You were the one that showed me this need. Help me to persevere, help me to endure. And you will find the strength to continue and carry on. God is faithful. To do that, which is what Nehemiah does as we continue and as we look at the rest of the chapter, because what he does, he not only sits in mourning, but he sits in prayer. Look at verses 5 through 10 with me. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses." Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though, you, um, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make your na- my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. In the time that he needed it, as he felt that burden, as he was stirred with this need, as he was stirred to move. He felt the feelings and it's real. And when you feel the feelings and you just need a minute to sit and say, this is big and this is heavy and this is like, I am in a way about this. When you, when you see an injustice or something that God is just stirring in your heart, it can be overwhelming. Anything can stir up emotions in you that you didn't know you had about something that you didn't realize affected you as much as it did. But Nehemiah goes to God and says, Okay, God, here we are. I love this. If you are experiencing great affliction and are about to undertake a great work, then you need great power, great goodness, and great mercy of a great God. We see the way that Nehemiah lays this prayer out. He begins with worship. And praise. Just like Jesus lays out in the Lord's Prayer. Start with praise. Start with worship. Right there in verse 5. O Lord God of heaven. The great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. We have this problem. We have this need. We have this opportunity. That is so small compared to the God of heaven. Nehemiah immediately puts things in the right perspective. Oh Lord and God of heaven. You're in heaven. You can do this. This isn't too big for you. As we look at and undertake great things for God. It is so important that we keep him in a proper perspective. And don't put him in a box and say. Okay. Okay somewhat big God, you know, like giant God, okay, you're, you're like 2XL God, I guess, maybe 3XL, I don't know. No, he is the God of heaven. Read through the end of Job where God just puts Job in his place and says, do you know who I am? It's going to make our problems seem a lot more manageable when we have a proper view of God. We can accomplish things when we remember the size and the power of the God that is on our side. Once Nehemiah does that, he then moves on to reminding God that he is a God of covenant and and he invites us to do this he invites us to go back and remind him of who he is and what he said. And it's an encouragement to us when we go back and remind and remember, God, you are faithful. You said you would be there. You said you would show up. You said in verse 5, "You, God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with him uh, who love him and keep his commandments. Our God is a God of covenant that's going to remember and be faithful and true to the promises that he made to you. The next thing he does is that he confesses, which is our favorite thing to do. We love bringing those up. But notice notice how Nehemiah does it, right? Because we might be good at this. He Confesses the sins of Israel. The sins of those people. that's why we're struggling. Those people messed up. But Nehemiah does something huge. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted. We. we have acted. Very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statues, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Sin is social, sin is not personal, sin is not something that I keep to myself. My sin affects the people around me, and God views it that way too. It affects the whole body. And so we need to confess and get right with God and then move on. Because what he does next is that he reminds God again. He reminds him of his promises in verse eight. Remember the word that you commanded your, your, your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Sure enough, that's what God did. Israel was faithful unfaithful. God scattered them. God is faithful. But the second part of that but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though, you are, though, you are, though your outcast are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. This was true. But this can be true as well. Memorize the promises of God. Go back to them When you are feeling like you are lost and don't know where to go and feel like you are up against a wall and stuck. God, you said that we would have trouble, but you said that you would be with us until the very end of the age. There's so many places where God just sets it up for us, the promises of his faithfulness and his goodness and the way that he will deliver us and provide for us. Finally, after all that, he gets to the ask. He gets to the request. In verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. God, please, would you hear me? Be attentive. Would you listen to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name? God, would you hear me? And then, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who's this man? The king of the the Persia, the king of the empire of Persia. And Nehemiah's like, oh yeah, this guy, just give me some mercy and some success with him. Because I'm talking to God. And that man, he's just a man. And the obstacles that we are facing, the hurdles that we need to get through, are so small compared to the God that we worship. But he asks for success in what he's going to do. Because Nehemiah isn't content to just feel the feelings, he's not content to just be upset about something. He's going to go, which is the last thing that we see in this chapter. Once he hears, once he sits, he gets up and goes. Which we're going to see in chapter two the request and the action that Nehemiah takes, the, the, the change, the shift in the trajectory of his life as he says yes. He is resolved to do something. He knew that it easily could come at a high cost, he knew that it, it could cost him something, but he was determined to act. So his prayer was, God, hear me, give me success, and grant mercy. So my question for you today as we wrap this up and as I think about, okay, well, what do we do with this? And, and Nehemiah did his job and he built his wall. But my question for us, where are we at in this journey? As we look at the example and the inspiration of Nehemiah, and as we begin to unpack his story, where are you in this journey? Do you need to hear? Do you need to hear about a need? Do you need to hear a report from something or some group or some ministry that is just desperate for God to intervene? And I promise you, they're out there. (laughs) Maybe there's an individual that that is going to come to you that is just desperate and broken. And you need to hear God saying, I want you to do something about this. Do you need to hear, have you heard? Has God spoken? Has God laid this burden on your heart? And you need to sit. Do you need to sit and, and, and get to a place where you are stirred and passionate enough? Do you need to sit and mourn the brokenness, the injustice? Do you need to mourn the evil, whatever it is? Do you need to sit and pray God, I I recognize this need. I need to get my heart right with you. Or have you been sitting and it's time for you to go? Worship team is going to come up and we're going to do one more song. And I would just ask as we sing this song that you would just, just open your heart up before the Lord. That you would be open, as Nehemiah was, to hear. To bring it to God. To allow yourself to be burdened. Enough to go and do something. Would you surrender to him to say, wherever this leads me, I'm going to say yes. And I'm willing to go. Because your will is more important than my will. Your cause is more important than my comfort. I don't know what this is going to turn out to be. I don't know how this is going to end. But God, I'm going to say yes. You've showed me this. I'm prayed up. Let's go. My prayer is that all of us would go on that journey. And that we would see God move in amazing, incredible ways. Ways. Would you pray with me? God, you saw the state of your city, Jerusalem. Lord, you so many years ago stirred the heart of a man to say yes and to go and restore the walls of this city and to turn people back to you. And God, whatever is on the hearts of these people this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would stir up a work in them. God, that they would say, yes, let's do this. Lord, would you hear the prayers of your people and give them success in what they endeavor to do? God, not for our name, but for your glory and for the sake of your name in Gorham and Scarborough and Westbrook and Portland and, and Cumberland County, God, and in the state of Maine, I pray that, that people see the hearts of Summit just moved to care God, that we would not be content to sit in the kingdom of Persia, but that we would go. Lord, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of ridicule, that we would say, God, we are going to be faithful and we are going to worship you. Lord, it doesn't matter where I was, but I'm going to trust you. Lord, and we praise you for the way that you're going to show up and provide. God, I praise you for the way that you've already done that through Summit. Lord, there's so many times I think about how you stirred the hearts of people. And you were glorified through it. God, may it be so. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.